0: So good morning. morning. We're still in chapter 5 of James. This is a little bit awkward this morning because if we tried to cover all of chapter 5, it would be too much. And if we cover just a portion, it might be too little. So just bear with me and we'll we'll dig through it as I usually do verse by verse. These are the topics that we've been covering today. And like any good uh, speaker or author, they say, tell them what you're going to tell them tell them and then tell them what you said and so all these topics that we've been covering from chapters 2 through 5 have all appeared in chapter 1 the very last bullet was what we talked about last week and that was uh, the the discussion around money and uh, you know they say money talks all it ever tells me is goodbye But I use that phrase, money talks, because in chapter 5, the Bible says that the the rust of your gold and silver will be a witness against you. It doesn't say evidence, it says will be a witness against you. So if you picture a courtroom, and the the, the witness sits down, and they they tell him to, to swear the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God, and then if they start asking him questions, if he doesn't say anything, what kind of a witness is that? You know, the same is true of you and me. We're supposed to be a good witness. Now, from one perspective, Paul wrote, and he said, we're living epistles read of all men. Our faith and the way we live out should be a witness. But we should also be doing this kind of a witness. We got into patience last week, and that's where we we ended up. Let's see if this thing's going to behave itself okay. Okay. There's chapter 5 and the different outlines and the different uh, verses where those things come from. We're probably going to spend the most, if not all, of our time on the topic of patience and perseverance. And last week I used the example of uh, me going in the BBs and counting my my uh, items down to 15 so I can use the express lane. And uh, then I start counting the, the cart in front of me and they have more than 15 and i patience starts the impatience starts bubbling up in me and then finally i remembered in a few day, a few minutes i'm going to be saying have a blessed day so i better be behaving myself so this is the topic of patience and i'm not too very good at patience so once again chapter 1 kicks us off in the topic of patience and then there you see verses 2 through 5 it says consider a pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The King James says patience, and then in chapter 5, the NIV resorts back to the word patience. It says, be patient. But let perseverance, let patience finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. So that's me. I'm right smack in the middle of do I have patience? Not really. Do I have wisdom? Not really. I'm right there. God's still working on me. So you can finish the rest of those verses and let's dig in some more. So, James chapter 5, verse 7 says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters. For how long? How long should we be patient? Pardon? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. Good answer. Until the Lord's coming. How long should we persevere until the Lord's coming? And we're going to spend some time today talking about what does it mean to be patient? What does it mean to persevere until the Lord's coming? So there you see John chapter 14. He's, he's, saying to, he's talking to his disciples. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Keep in mind they were Jewish men. They believed in Yahweh, they believed in Jehovah, and he was reinforcing, you believe in Yahweh, believe also in me. I'm, st- I'm also Yahweh. I think he's talking about the Trinity there. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back. He gave us a promise. He says, I'm coming back. And then in Acts... Jesus is going up into heaven and the angels, they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into the sky? Now, I'll tell you why, because Jesus is going up there. I've never seen somebody do something like that. He didn't have a pack of jets on his back or anything like that. He just was ascending into heaven. So you men of Galilee, why stand ye here gazing into heaven? The same Jesus, not a different Jesus, not a hologram, The same Jesus that was taken from you to heaven will come back. He's coming back. And how long should we be patient? Until he shows up. So, how do I exercise my patience? We're going to fill in that column as the hour goes by. But how do I exercise my impatience? What are some of the things that happens when you're impatient? You mess things up, okay? You start getting nervous because I wasn't saying anything. You, you mess things up. You start getting nervous. What else? Impatience. Frustration, Frustration yep. Anybody else? Okay, we're, we're, all this ties back to James. My irritation can become anger. What if instead of being the second guy in BB's express line, what if I'm the tenth guy in BB's line? Line, and the sign says no more than 15 and everybody has 16 to 20 items in their cart. And I start looking at the other lines and they've got shopping carts that are filled because they're feeding the whole family. I can get irritated, and I do. The irritation can become anger. Not attentive. I'm going to give you a grand example from my own history. This happened to me in grade school. Here are the instructions of a grade school time test. Now, I was... but that's a key point. Instructions on a grade school time test. Step one says, read all instructions before proceeding. Step two says, do X. And it was some kind of goofy thing, stand up or whatever. And step three and step four, and then you get to this one. Ignore X, Y, and Z and bring your paper to the teacher's desk. And you know what happened to me? I was doing X, Y, and Z, and carrying on and racing because I was an impatient person then, as I'm an impatient person now. And all these people are walking past me and going up to the desk and saying, what's wrong with them? Impatience could lead to me not being attentive. could cause me to say or do something I may regret. Well, you know what, recess time came after that test, and I was the brunt of many a joke because I was the first one, because I was a fast reader, I was the first one doing all the goofy things when everybody else read the instructions. So it could cause me to say or do some things that I might regret. Now, how do those things tie to James? James says that everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, or slow to become angry. It ties back together with patience. Now, Jesus is coming back, and there's a picture of James, and from 1 Corinthians we read, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom were still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. There's James. Can you imagine, my big brother is God? Can you imagine my big brother has holes in his wrists? And I don't know what Jesus had to say to James in that encounter. The Bible doesn't say. All I can say is, can you imagine? There's another appearance. There's Paul. And he, you know, the Lord appeared to Paul on the right way to the Damascus Road. And Jesus had a lot to say to Paul, not just then, but through all that inspiration where he wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. So what else is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Well, we're going to answer that question. What else is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? The most important verse in Scripture, I asked this question before, what's the most important verse in Scripture? It's not John 3.16. It's not Genesis 1.1 or John 1.1. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 4. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance. The death, the burial, the resurrection. Well, those are all historical. And we're talking about patience until Jesus comes. What else is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15? Anybody? The rapture. Listen. I tell you, a mystery will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling, in the moment of an eye. For the trump shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which remain will be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye." The rapture. We will all be changed, written to Christians. The question becomes, what do we do until then? We're talking about exercising our patience. We're gonna be changed then, but what about change now? Now I'm not talking about the change that tinkles in your pocket. We're talking about behavior modification. What, does the, what should the rapture do to change my behavior now? You know, <clears throat> there's a lot of discussion of when should the rapture come. Is it pre-trib, is it post-trip, is it mid-trip, is it a, an allegory? Those first century Christians and those authors, Paul and James and Peter and John, they all knew that it was imminent. They said, there's nothing else that's going to come. We need to be ready. And so fast forward 2,000 years, if they, having direct communication with Jesus, knew that there was nothing else that needed to be happening, and we're 2,000 years beyond that, It's closer than it's ever been. So what kind of change now? So verse 58 tells us that. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. James tells us the same thing. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. You too be patient And stand firm. King James gave a literal translation, establish your heart. Be firm in your heart and in your convictions. Matthew chapter 24, the Bible says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It's talking about the latter days, and that's where we are right now. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. If I said, well, I will say it, how many of you know somebody that used to come to church faithfully but doesn't come anymore? Let me see some hands. You know somebody? Okay. Most. Okay. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. We're supposed to stand firm, establish our heart because the Lord's coming is near. So... Exercising my patience. How do I exercise my patience? First of all, establish my heart. Stand firm. Second of all, give fully to the work of the Lord. I don't think we're going to get it till next week, but I'm going to ask this question. I'll give you a week to think about it. For a Christian, what's the worst sin a Christian can commit? The answer is in chapter 5, and I'm not going to give it away. Okay, so let's continue on. <clears throat> okay, Paul's blessed hope. What was Paul's blessed hope? He was hoping for the appearing of our God and Savior, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What should we be doing? <clears throat> How shall we be exercising our patience? The okay, answer gives us an entitus. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. <clears throat> Who, in American politics, popularized the phrase, just say no? Just say No. That was Nancy Reagan. What was the context? Drugs. Drugs. She wanted to start... You know, every first lady does something special. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt was, like, the one that did all kinds of super stuff. You can go and study on Eleanor Roosevelt. But Nancy Reagan's contribution was a very simple but a a prolific statement. Just say no. Now, the backdrop for me was... When she said that, I just came out of a life of drugs and and booze, and I couldn't just say no. So that gave me something to pray about for the the next guy. Just say no. So how do we exercise our patience? Just say no to ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Once again, it takes me back to Pastor Glenn Yoder. He said to his mother, do I have to? And the mother said, only if you don't want to. If our want to is in gear, then we don't have to worry about the thou shouts and the thou shouts not. In the book of Galatians, the Bible says this, the fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. If the fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of us, we don't have to worry about the thou's and the thou shouts. We can just say no and live godly and upright lives. Believe. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. The rest of those verses were already up on on the wall. Where does belief come from? From the heart. Romans ten seventeen, uh, Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. Faith cometh by hearing, but hearing by the word of God. How do I increase my faith? The Bible says, without faith it is impossible to please him. How do I increase my faith? Through more absorption of the word. Now, does that mean that uh, I just put an audio Bible on? I've got hearing aids so I can be listening to the Bible right now and you wouldn't know it. Is that the only thing that I should be doing to absorb the Word? I have a daily reading. I have a daily study. Sometimes I'm out piddling outside and I set my phone up such that the guy just reads to me chapter after chapter after chapter. And I'm going to tell you there are sometimes, when my mind shifts from whatever task I'm doing to those words, I'm saying, "Whoa, oh, I missed a couple chapters." But that's my conscience. My subconscious may not have missed those chapters. Isaiah wrote to us, and he says, "Line upon line, precept upon precept." That's how the word comes into my heart. Now it's not just. God's Word. See, it's through the Word about Christ. There are songs that talk of Jesus Christ. And I mention this every Christmas. You look at some of those traditional Christmas carols, and they typically have three themes. The first coming of Jesus Christ, you know, away in the manger the second coming of Jesus Christ. I don't know if we're gonna sing every stanza of every song, but there will be verses in there about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then the personal coming of Jesus Christ. God rest ye merry gentlemen. You read that song, and it talks about receiving Christ. So it's a time of Christmas, and my first pastor would start right around the second or the third week of Advent, and he would say, This is the time of the year. This is the next week or two weeks when people would be more open to hearing about God than any of those other weeks. And you know, we get into this controversy. I didn't know I was going to get into this, but I'll say it. We get into this controversy. Should we say Merry Christmas? Or should we say Happy Holidays? I'm not going there. But this week, people started saying to me, Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. And I had a, a, a non traditional response, and that non traditional response had a very different response. Somebody says to me, Merry Christmas, and I say, and I say it slowly, Have a blessed day. And you might as well take a, 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 a boxing glove and hit this guy. Have a blessed day. Why, thank you. Live for Jesus. Have that word start to, to, to bubble up in our hearts, especially at Christmas time. We have, we have visual reminders, we have musical reminders, we have uh, you know the twinkling kids' eyes, we've got all kinds of things that tell us about that first coming of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus, and the personal coming of Jesus. So we're going to add to that list of how do I exercise my patience, stand firm, work fully for the Lord, just say no, keep your nose clean, and believe, not just the message, but how we greet one another. And there's a quote from Psalm 119. Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, The word is not a one-way street. It doesn't get hidden in my heart, and then I don't let anybody know that it's there. That word should be magnified in my life. That's how I exercise patience. So we have this list. I ran out of room, so I got rid of the list of impatience. And we're going to add to it. Be blessed. My patience would allow me to be blessed. And there you have Revelation 1. Blessed is the one who reads about the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it, and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. What verse are we studying? James 5, 7. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. So we would be blessed in our patience, and we'd be rewarded For our patience. Now there is in store for me, this is Paul writing, and this is right before he loses his head for Jesus. He says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who are martyred. That's not what it says. Also to those who longed for his appearing we read about we read about patients in many different sections of the scriptures we read about uh, martyrs in many different sections of the scripture the first one that you read about in the New Testament is Stephen Stephen was about to be stoned, they drag him out of the city, the stones start flying, he drops to his knees and he said I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father what a vision he had and then just like Christ his last words recorded as Lord lay not this sin to their charge his coming of the Lord was imminent next week we're going to talk about healing if the clock doesn't race up we might be talking about it today You know, the Lord has healed me thousands of times. How do you know that? Because I'm standing here. Well, there's going to come a time when He doesn't heal me. We all have to die of something. And so the question becomes where does the prayer of faith come in that is discussed in chapter 5? We may or may not get there. I told you in the beginning this is going to be an awkward situation because if I did a subset, I don't have enough material. And if I do a superset, I've got too much material. Okay, go on. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, especially waiting for the right growing conditions. Who's that guy? Ran for president in 2016. It wasn't Mayor Pete. That's Mayor Mike Bloomberg. What did he say about farmers? I could teach anybody, even people in this room, to be a farmer. It's a process. You dig a hole, you put the seed in, you dirt on the top, you water it, and up comes the corn. Is that how it works? (laughs) No. No. Now, now I keep a garden. I get my seed over there. That uh, people at the Dollar Tree—it's twenty-five cents a pack. You're going to get there before I do, and they'll stock out. It's twenty-five cents a pack, okay? So maybe for a ten-dollar bill, I've got all the seeds I need. I can't imagine investing thousands of dollars. You put it into pieces of equipment that are thousands and thousands of dollars worth and then you take care of that crop and wait for it to come. You know, I'll plant a bean, and I'll be going like this, looking for that bean to start coming up. First thing that appears is weeds. It's not just drop the seed into the ground and give it a little water and watch it grow. That's not how it works. If you don't have the patience, don't be a farmer. So I'm not going to be a farmer because I don't have the patience. I can't imagine... Thousands of dollars in the ground, and then a crop failure. This year's been good for corn, I hear. Right? Uh, I don't know anything about the math, but I know when I drive around, I see beautiful. I don't see it anymore because it's all dried out. But I saw beautiful corn this year. There are times when I would drive around and I'd see corn that would remind me of the second seven years of Joseph in Genesis. You read, you don't read, but you see in the news places like North Dakota and the Mississippi overflows and their their seed is now down in Louisiana somewhere. What a great example of somebody that I should learn patience from. He says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. So be blessed, be rewarded, be an example. Also from James. Brothers and sisters, be an example of patience in the face of suffering. Now, I might be standing in BB's, here's my cart, and I might start trembling because I am dealing with my patience. But what kind of a testimony would I have if I said, hey lady, you have 16 items in your cart. Or I get up front to the clerk and I say, you know, I'm kind of in a rush, and why don't you tell these people to get into another line? What kind of an example would that be? So we're to be blessed. We'll be rewarded. I hope I'm rewarded, because I'm trying my best, Lord. We should be an example. As you know, we count as blessed those who have preserved Have persevered. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now, he's giving an example of prophets. I'll give you an example right here. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather you children together as a hen gathers the chicks under her wings and we're not willing. Jesus told these people, I've sent messengers to you all the way deep, deep into the New Testament. You killed them all. Here's Hebrews 11. You know, the first part of Hebrews talks about, you know, the... the, we talk about that chapter as the Hall of Faith as opposed to the Hall of Fame. And it mentions Abraham and Rahab and Isaac and Moses and David and all those great people whose lives seem bigger than life. And then you see this verse. They were put to death by stoning. They were sought in two. Now, tradition says this. It doesn't come from the Bible, so you take it or leave it. They said that Isaiah was that guy that was sawn in two. Isaiah started his his career with Hezekiah. With Hezekiah, Isaiah was the one who said, you know, you're going to die. And Hezekiah says, oh, no. And Isaiah said, well, would you like to have a sign that you're not going to die? God's going to give you 15 more years. And he moved the son back. That was Isaiah. Well, Hezekiah was given 15 years. 12 of those years, he saw the birth, and then to 12 years old, of his grandson Manasseh <coughs> now Manasseh was the dirt ball that caused the the tipping point uh, the Babylonian captivity came and there was no repenting at that point it was a, it was a done deal because of Manasseh And that verse they're saying that when Manasseh became king he took Isaiah who was the great uh, advisor and counselor for his granddad and cut him in half they were killed by the sword they went about in sheepskins and goatskins. There are two people that were running around in sheepskins and goatskins. Who were those two people? Skins, yes, they were, but they weren't prophets. John the Baptist was one, and who was the other one? Elijah. Elijah, Elijah and John the Baptist. They were running in goatskins and sheepskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. How did John the Baptist end his career? I see Andy going back like this, just like Paul. He lost his head for Jesus. Here's Elijah. Elijah speaking. And, you know, these guys are bigger than life, but on the other hand, they were human too. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, you know, we were persecuted, we were destitute, and I was shipwrecked. And he said, I despaired even of life. Now, that doesn't mean that he got despondent and depressed. What it meant was, he didn't think he was getting out of the situation. But here's Elijah. He says, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm, I'm, here's Eeyore coming up. I'm the only one left. What did the Lord say to Elijah? Elijah was saying, if they kill me, I'm your last prophet, and you're going to become a nonprofit organization. The Lord said, I've got 7,000 people you don't know about. So, at the present time, this is Paul is uh, talking about Elijah back in the Old Testament. This is Romans 11. And then Paul says, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, the context of that verse was the remnant of Israel. There's always a witness. There's a remnant of, of, of that. But guess what? If you've been saved, you're part of that remnant right now there will always be a witness. What did Mordecai tell Esther? Esther was, a, was uh, chosen, and Mordecai said, you know, you need to go into your hubby, the king, and explain what Haman had to say. And Esther wasn't quite ready to do that, so then Mordecai said, if you think you're going to get out of this purge because you're the queen, you've got something else to think about. But if you don't go... God will send somebody else. That anti-Semitic thrust was just another attempt at trying to cut off the bloodline that would lead to Jesus. And he says to Esther, if you're not going to go, God's going to send somebody else. And that message for us today as well. If you're not going to be patient, exercise your patience, be a witness, be an example, if you're not going to do it, somebody else will do it. Ah, good, that takes the monkey off my back. No, no, that doesn't, that's not what it means. It means we would lose award, rewards. The Bible talks of five crowns in heaven that are available to us at the judgment, the mercy seat of God. So, yeah, he told Esther, if you're not going to do it, somebody else will. Esther finally, I won't say manned up, because she was a beautiful lady. Esther finally says, if I perish, I perish. She was going to be a witness to her husband, the king, in a law that said, if you go into that throne room before you're summoned, you're going to die. I can see her with her hand on that golden doorknob, if they had doorknobs. And she said said that to Mordecai, but then she's saying this right before she goes in. She says, if I perish, I perish. Now, there are countries in this world that if you mention Jesus, you're going to die. The Taliban are searching people's phones. If you've got the Bible on your phone, you're going to die. The Chinese chase down house churches all the time. You're going to die. What about in this country? We're not going to die. Paul said in Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the glorious gospel of Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He wasn't ashamed. The Bible tells us, he said, he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. You know what that means? That means when he's pumping gas at Turkey Hill, he talks to the next pump person. And guess what? Even if you just say, have a blessed day, you're going to make an impact. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. You have heard of Job's person's perseverance. King James says, you have heard of the patience of Job. You know this is written to the Hebrews because they didn't have to introduce who Job was just like I hope I don't have to introduce who Job is to you. In in James' gospel, he mentions, in James' epistle, he mentions Abraham, he mentions Rahab, he mentions Elijah, and he mentions Job. And they didn't have to introduce any of them. The audience knew who those people were. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What happened to Job in the first few chapters? Anybody? He lost everything. He First he loses his fortune, the animals and the donkeys, and then he loses his family. His kids were all under one one of his kids' houses and the, the house collapse and they all die. Eventually he loses his friends, but before his friends come and and mess with his head, he loses his wife. Mrs. Job says, why don't you just curse God and die? Chapter one, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. If somebody came into my house and said, John, your six kids are dead. John, your IRA is worthless and they're coming to get your house. John, your wife just turned her back on you in a mean, mean way. I'll just be honest with you, I don't know that I would wouldn't shave my head, that isn't in our culture, but I don't know that I would be worshiping. And I'm just going to be straight honest with you. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he says, pray in every circumstance. So here's Job. He didn't have just the fender bender, he lost everything. He continued on and he said, Naked came I into the world, naked shall I return thither. The Lord blessed, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's how he worshiped. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, my dad always had a fancy hearse, he was a funeral director. And I washed it for him all the time when I measured. You know, it had no trailer hitch on it. Why did that hitch not, why did that hearse not have a trailer hitch? Because you can't take it with you. That's why. So then he goes on and says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Then you see chapter 2. This is right after she says, why don't you just curse God and die? And Job says, shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? We were in chapter 1, and chapter 1 of Job says, every good and perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of turn, no variableness, nor is there shadow of turning. He's a straight shooter. He's not going to change. He gives every good and perfect gift What's the definition of an Indian giver? It's probably incorrect because I mentioned uh, the indigenous Americans. What is the definition of an, of an Indian giver? Somebody who, the Irishman knew that and you Americans know. <laughs> Somebody who gives a gift and takes it back. The wages of sin is death, but finish it The wages of sin is death, but the is eternal life. If he gave me eternal life, he's not an Indian giver. James says there is no variableness. He's not going to change his mind. Hebrews chapter 6 says that God cannot lie, and he has an immutability. He's not going to change. Job did not sin. He said, shall we receive good and evil And this is just in chapter 2. There are 40 chapters. Chapter 13, he says, Though he slay me, he lost his fortunes. He lost his family. He lost his wife. He lost his friends. The devil allowed the sores to come on his body that he would take a piece of broken pottery and scrape the pus. I've never been there. By God's grace, I hope I never get there. But he says, Yea, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Talk about the patience of Job. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. We're still not even close to chapter 40, and we're not going to get there. Chapter 19, he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see see God. Without the pus, without the infirmities, without a need for glasses, With all of my extremities, I'm thinking of Bernie and Marvin King as, you know, minute examples, the Bible says this mortal is going to put on immortality, and this corruptible is going to put on incorruption. And then I can see, oh, death, where is thy sting? Oh, grave, where is thy victory? I can't wait. But until that time comes, we're to exercise our patience. Thank you, James. Then we see in chapter 42, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. He gave him everything back. And I think that is it. better because we're out of time. The end. Praise the Lord.